certainly worthy. Can you guys hear me? Am I on? I'm good. <laughs> he is certainly worthy of all our praise. Go ahead, go ahead and grab a seat, if you would, this morning. Again, welcome to Christ Church, and, and uh, great to be together for those of you, like Chris said, who are in the building and uh, those joining online. Man, so thankful for the technology we have that if you weren't able to make the drive in, that you can still join us, uh, and for the team here serving to help make that happen as well. So grab your Bibles, go over to Romans chapter 6. If, uh, if we haven't met, I apologize for rushing. Uh, my name is Jeremy, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff as well. And, and uh, we are in the middle of a series called Take Aim. And Take Aim is based in this idea that there are certain marks that, that we aim for as disciples. As followers of Jesus, these are the marks of discipleship. It's to draw near to Christ, to know the work of Christ, to become like Christ, and to live for Christ. Now, among many other things, this is some of the language that we use here at Christ Church to describe or to give us a mark, a target to shoot for. Like, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And we try to boil it down to these four things. And so over the last uh, series of weeks and, and into the future, we're taking time to just really slow it down and look at each one of those four marks individually. And currently, we're talking about knowing the work of Christ this, uh, these past few weeks and for the next few weeks, knowing the work of Christ. And over in Romans chapter 6, we're going to look at a very specific um, aspect of our faith or something that we can do as Jesus is at work in us, and that's baptism. And we're going to take a deep dive or a deeper dive into talking about what baptism represents, why it's important, why it's even placed at this point in the book of Romans. See, Jesus is still at work today. His work is not complete He's at work in you, he's at work in me because he loves us, and his work is to heal, to redeem, to restore, to save, to save this sinful and broken world, to save us as individuals from the sin that besets us in our own brokenness. You see, sin or disobedience to God, separation from God, is the default human position. That's where we just land automatically. Until Jesus moves in our lives, and changes us. And so Paul spends the first five chapters of the book of Romans talking about a certain principle in scripture called justification. Justification is, is a theological word that you may hear from time to time, but it just simply means to be made right with God. And he's wrestling with a question, how can people be made right with God? How is somebody justified? Is it, is it by what we do? Is there something that, that we do on our own merit? We have to do the do's and don't do the don'ts and, and emphatically over and over and over, the gospel of Jesus Christ is that there's nothing that you do or can do to earn God's favor or to earn his goodness. It's a work of grace that we simply believe and we receive. In fact, sin, our own sinfulness, is what causes us to understand the grace of God, right? Like we don't, we wouldn't understand grace. Grace is us being given something favor, blessing, goodness that we absolutely don't deserve. And so when we encounter our own sinfulness, our own brokenness, our own fallenness, and God is still good to us and faithful to us, we begin to experience the grace of God. That's what makes it grace, is that we don't deserve it. And so at the very end of chapter five, Paul makes a statement about this, this match, this wrestling match in creation between sin and grace. And he goes, hey, where, where sin abounds, Grace abounds more. 
What he's saying is that the grace of God is stronger than your sin. The grace of God is bigger and more powerful than all of the sin that humanity will ever commit. And it brings to a little bit of an argument, which is what he's addressing in chapter six. And so in this, this section of Romans, it's a little bit of a, of a hinge point, like a turning point in Romans. He spends the first five chapters talking about how we are made right with God, justified with God, not by what we do, but what has been done for us. And then he moves, now he's beginning to transition towards how does that land? How does that change the way that we live? So let's read Romans 6, 1 through 4 here together. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who've died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. There's a lot there. I wish we had a lot more time because the theological truths in this, the book of Romans, especially this section, are so deep. They're gold mines that we just keep digging and digging and we sit in and we never fully grasp and understand. You know, we never really graduate from this message. Let me, let me pray before we, we take a little more time to kind of dive into this. Father, we come before you this morning and we're, we just want to humble ourselves. We realize that there's nothing that we could do, we couldn't be good enough or, or nothing that we could not do or refrain from doing bad things that would somehow earn your favor, but that's, that salvation and justification is, is a work of what's been done for us. And we just believe that. We receive it. We hear it. We receive it. And now as we think about how that transforms us or changes the way that we live, I pray, uh, Holy Spirit, that you would be giving understanding, that you'd be bringing conviction and clarity as we talk about this crucial passage this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul here is talking about baptism because he's, he's turning a corner and he's saying this is, this is the argument here. And, and baptism is a picture. Here's the big idea for today. Baptism is a picture of the personal work of Christ. In a few moments, when I'm done, uh, we're going to have some students getting baptized this morning. We've kind of done a special baptism service because what's happening in our student ministry is awesome, and there's some students that want to make their public declaration of faith. They want to share their story, the personal work of Christ, and, and baptism is a picture of that. Last week, Pastor Brian, uh, in his message, encouraged us with this. He said, keep the work of Christ at the center of your testimony. And baptism is a picture of just that. Baptism is a picture of the work of Christ in your personal testimony. Paul here begins to, to jump in, and, and the first thing he says in verse 1 in chapter 6 is, what are we to say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? Because he's, he's answering the question that people might be like, well, if, if where sin abounds, grace abounds more, and grace is, is greater than sin, then why don't we just, let's just live it up, right? I mean, if God's going to forgive me anyways, let's just sin all we want, live however we want, because God's grace is greater so should we just like go all in? Should we go for it? And, and his answer is emphatically, by no means. Absolutely not. Th that is tremendously faulty thinking. 
Should we continue in sin? Now, let me just be clear. To continue in sin means to practice, to persist in it, to to blame others for it, or to self-justify. We're always in the position of we're either trying to justify our sin ourselves or we're receiving the justification that Jesus offers us. To continue in sin means to live in it without repentance. So Paul's addressing a question here. It's like, well, if God's grace is, is shown and burns even brighter, the more sin there is, the more God's grace is highlighted. Let's just go for it so that God can be glorified, right? Like, and Paul's like, no, absolutely not. And he answers the question with a question. How can we who died to sin still live in it? That's, that's number one if you're taking notes today. We have died to sin. The picture of baptism, the personal work of Christ, is that we have died to sin. You can't be dead and alive at the same time. Paul's like, how, how can, if you, if you have died to sin, how can you still be alive in it? You can't. You're either dead to it or you're alive in it. What Paul is saying is there's two options here. If, if you are in Christ, you are dead to sin. If you're not in Christ, you are dead in sin. You see, something's dead all the time. Something's always dying. To continue in sin, to, be, to not be dead to sin, means that sin still reigns in your life. When we die to sin, this is something that we believe that we've been justified the first five chapters because of what Jesus has done for us. We believe the gospel. We receive that there's nothing we could ever do or not do. And when we believe that, it changes our hearts. It causes us to repent. It causes this death to sin to happen on the inside. To be dead to sin means that it no longer controls you. It certainly doesn't mean that the day you give your life to Christ, surrender your life to Christ, all of a sudden you're going to be perfect and never sin again, right? That would be, that'd be faulty thinking as well. That would lead us to a place of being like, oh man, every time I, I, I sin or mess up, does that mean that I'm not saved? Does that mean that I haven't died to sin? No. The difference between someone who's a believer who's dead to sin and someone who's not is that someone who has died to sin no longer lets that control their life. We live out of relationship with Jesus. In fact, over in Colossians 1.13, he says this, he, God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. We don't live there anymore. Paul's like, you've died to that. How can you still be alive if you've died? You don't live there anymore. If you've received the redemptive, justifying work of Jesus and you believe that, you're no longer a citizen of that kingdom. You're now a citizen. You've been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. I love what John Owen said because this is a wrestling match. It's an ongoing process. John Owen said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Just think about that for a second. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Something's always dying. Something's always in the process of dying. Apart from Jesus, we are mastered by sin, controlled by it, dominated by it. It is killing us. It's killing us all the time. But because of what Jesus has done, he's broken the power of sin. And now you don't have to be killed by sin anymore. Now you have the ability and have been given God's spirit to put sin to death. 
And then he goes on to start talking, and he starts talking about baptism. Look in verse 3. Here's another question. So he, I love how Paul answers questions with questions. Just a complete side note. Oftentimes that's the best approach when someone thinks they've got you with the little gotcha question. Anybody ever been like in a debate or argument, you know, and they're trying to get to that moment where it's like, gotcha, right? Oftentimes the best thing to do is answer questions with questions. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. See, the word baptism in the Greek language, it means immersion, which is why we immerse in water. It means union. It means unity to be in Christ. Your primary identity, who you are now, is in Christ, and you live out of who you are. You're not living for, to attain the favor of God. You're living from the favor of God, from the grace of God, because he's already freely given it to you. We can find our, our, our identity in lesser places, but your identity is who you are in Christ. You see, your relationship with Jesus drastically changes and transforms your relationship with sin. You're dead to it now. That's who you used to be. Death to sin. And that's what baptism represents. Baptism represents out with the old, death to that old nature of sin that used to dominate you, that the power of Jesus Christ has broken in your life. In with the new, you have a new identity, a new citizenship. So there's these words that we use that I don't want to assume that everybody understands. I talked about justification a moment ago. Justification is being made right with God, what has been done for you so you can be made right with God. Sanctification is the journey, the process of becoming more like Jesus. So we have been made right. We are being transformed, being restored. And then glorification is the future hope that one day the work will be complete. One day we will be completely free of sin in walking just like Jesus. And it's a process. You see, but the same grace that saved us is the same grace that sanctifies us, is the same grace that glorifies us. It's a work, it's the work of Christ beginning to end. I love, you know, just rest in this church. We have nothing really to do with it other than believing and humbling ourselves and cooperating with what God is doing, the work of Christ. Justification, sanctification, glorification. So baptism is the initial public proclamation. When somebody says, I want to be baptized, what they're saying is, I've identified with Jesus. I'm immersed in Jesus. My identity is in Jesus. I'm, I have died to sin. That old man of sin is dead, and I'm, I'm raised to newness in life. It's a picture of the personal work of Christ, and that really then leads us to number two. Once we have died to sin, two, here's the second part of that picture. We are raised to new life in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Baptism is, is that picture. Baptism is the picture of the work of Christ in a person's life. It's death to the old. Now, to be very clear, it's not a fresh start. It's not like a resolution to try harder and do better next time. That's us trying to work things out in our own 
ability. It's not a, a sense of, of, I feel so guilty that I, I need to do something because that would be an anti-gospel thought that, that there's something that we can do. There's nothing we can do. Apart from Jesus, we are dead in sin, but in Christ, we're made alive. And baptism represents that being made alive. You know, Jesus has a very unique and beautiful way of making dead things alive. That's what he does. Because you're, you're going to experience death means separation from God. Either you're, you're living dead in your sin apart from Jesus, or you're dead to sin in Christ. But something's always dying. Something's always being put to death. Sin has a, a way of promising big and and promising life, and maybe I'm sure you've experienced this, things that God would say, that's wrong, that sin don't go that way, has, has, a, has an allure and a temptation and an appeal. It, it has like these promises that if you do this and if you go this way, then you're gonna be fulfilled and you're gonna be happy and you're gonna know who you are. And you don't need God for any of that. He's just trying to kind of keep you from fun. He's trying to keep you from, from what's really gonna make you happy. Sin promises life, right? And what does sin deliver? It delivers death and pain and heartache and destruction and frustration and hopelessness. That's the lie of sin. Jesus, on the other hand, is like, hey, if you wanna follow me, it's a call to death. Like, I promise you're going to die. But in the death process, in the death to sin, you're actually going to be resurrected to newness of life. See the opposite? Sin promises all these things and delivers death. Sin promises life and delivers death. Jesus, in a sense, like promises we're going to die and then delivers resurrection life. That's what the picture of baptism is. It's newness of life being raised dead to sin, dead to the old life, being made alive in Christ. Paul said this over in 2 Corinthians 5.17. It's kind of a, a famous passage. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I've been, you know, serving as, as a pastor for, I, I hate to admit, kind of quite a few years now. I'm getting old and gray and I don't know, it just happens. It's like one day you wake up and you realize you're old. I don't know, it's weird. I'll tell you the thing I never get tired of though is hearing that, hearing people's stories. Sometimes, and, and it's like you, you have people in your life that when they tell you their story, they go, let me tell you who I was, BC, like before Christ. I used to do this and this and I acted this way and say this way. And you're looking at this person and you're like, I, I can't, see, I can't get my head around, you're telling me that you did these things, but you're, it's like you're talking about a different person. You ever experienced that with someone telling you their story, their testimony of how Christ has made them new, the work of Christ? And you're like, it sounds like you're talking about somebody else. And in one sense, that's exactly right. They are telling you a story of a person who no longer exists. They're telling you the story of their old person that has died in Christ, that has been, has been buried with Christ, and this new person, this whole new person is resurrected. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can do that. Religion can't do it. Being a good person can't do it. 
keeping all the laws, trying harder, doing better. You see, the, the law of the Old Testament was never meant to give us a way to be righteous with God. The law, the purpose of the law in the Old Testament was to show us our need for Jesus. To show us that apart from a saving work that is greater than us, that we could never do the do's and don't do the don'ts, we need Jesus to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Now, before we get too quick to just kind of throw out the law, the the laws are good things, and and this is the same spirit of the law today. Laws give parameters, they, they create boundaries for protection, right? They help restrain evil and foolishness. I would hate to live in a lawless society. Because of the evil that is present in the heart of man, the human condition, we have to have laws. But at best, law can kind of temporarily restrain sin, right? It's like a great college football running back. You can't stop him. You can only hope to contain him, right? Our coaches used to say that in high school. You can't stop him. You can only hope to contain him, right? I wasn't that guy. I was very easy to stop. I could be stopped and contained. It was not hard. (laughs) The law reveals the sin within us and reveals our need for the grace of God and our need for Jesus, But the law is also necessary because it it helps us see our need. It protects us. In fact, over in Galatians 3, if you got time this afternoon, so fascinating. Paul talks in in his letters to the churches. He kind of hits different angles of this, this transition out of the law and into this, this age of grace, out of the law and into the spirit. And he talks about how the law served as a guardian until Jesus could come. It's kind of like, a parent-child relationship or a, a maturing, right? Let me, let me put it to you like this. this. This helps me. Certainly not a perfect illustration, but it helps me understand. When I first started driving, I was 16 years old. Um, I remember I got my license, and the day I went out, I, it, was, it was a day like this, middle of the winter, flew out and started spinning donuts, you know, going way too fast, reckless. You know when you're 16 and you get your license... You probably shouldn't have a license at that point, but at some point we need to start trusting you. I know that I, I, remember, I remember looking at speed limit signs and being like, okay, the only reason I'm going to obey that speed limit is because I'm afraid that the police officer is going to pull me over, give me a ticket, cut up my license, I'm going to get thrown in jail, whatever, right? You're afraid of punishment. You obey the law because you're afraid of the consequence of the authorities punishing you for breaking the law. If you drive through North Muskegon or any any residential area, the speed limit's typically 25 miles an hour or maybe 15 miles an hour. And when you're young, if you're like me, some of you, some of you guys are way more responsible drivers. Like our youth, this is not for them. This is just for me when I was a 16-year-old youthful driver, right? You need the law because it protects you and it protects others. Something happens as you grow and you mature. Instead of looking at the speed limit 25 miles an hour and thinking, man, I'm afraid of getting caught and punished. I think I'll obey the speed limit or I'll go as far as I can without getting in trouble, right? Something begins to change, especially as you have children and you see these young drivers going like through the neighborhood. Something in you rises up and you're like, I'm calling the cops. All of a sudden, you're the cranky old man now. Like, what happened? Get off my lawn. 
What happened? How did it happen so fast you don't realize it, you know? Because you realize that that the law is there to protect and to, and to keep people from doing foolish things. It restrains what could cause great harm, right? Now when you're driving through a neighborhood as a, as a parent with kids of your own, you're not looking at the, the 25 miles an hour like, I can't believe they'd make the speed limit and I'm, gonna, I'm just only gonna obey it so I don't get caught and get in trouble. No, when you have kids of your own, you're like, that was a ball, and like you're hitting the brakes. You're like the, the most terrifying thing would think that I I would hit a child and and kill her or wound or injure a child because of my recklessness. You see, you've moved from the law to the spirit. You see that? You no longer need the law to just restrain the foolishness. You have not. You're now living from the inside out. You've captured the spirit of the law. That's a picture of the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's the transition that happens when somebody is made new in Christ is that you, you don't need the law to externally telling you what to do and what not to do because the spirit is within you. It's Ezekiel 36, 25 and 26. It's a new heart, a new spirit living from the inside out. New, newness of life. You're no longer enslaved to sin. This is what happens when a person believes is that the old man of sin dies. And again, I I just have to stress, it's not that you're never going to struggle with sin. You are. But when you do, you don't allow it to control you. You repent of it quickly and you go, that is, that is not who I am. That is, that is I, I live in the kingdom of light and that is the works of the flesh and that is darkness. And I repent of that. Do we not live in that tension all the time, church? I mean, is it, you see how repentance is not something that it's like, oh yeah, I gotta repent today. I gotta confess my sin and repent. It's like we live there constantly. Repentance is not an an occasional action. Repentance is a permanent posture of the heart. Because we're always in this justification, being sanctified, being made more like Christ, one day will be perfected. We're all this work in progress that live in this messy place where we need a lot of grace. It's no longer who you are, you've died. Over in Galatians 5, and, uh, and this isn't up on, the note, up on the screens, but you can write this down. Paul names a few of these these things. The works of the flesh are evident. Just listen, I know it doesn't take me long to identify myself in this one. Paul, you ever get that when Paul like makes his lists of like the works of the flesh? I'm like, you're like writing a biography of me, right? I see myself all in it. And then, and then, you, then you can feel all guilty and shameful and condemned. And We'll talk about that in a second, how you handle that. Look what he says, the works of the flesh are evident. Over in Galatians 5:19, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He goes on to talk about the fruit of the Spirit right after that. The works of the flesh are evident. The truth is, as, as followers of Christ, as believers in Christ, this picture of, of baptism is, is a picture of the personal work that is proclaimed initially, but is being worked out until the day either that 
Jesus takes you home or he comes to get you and you'll be fully glorified. That's where we live. So in one sense, it's like we're dying daily, like what Paul said every single day. We're picking up our cross. We're following Jesus. We die daily, and baptism is, is the picture of that initial work. Baptism is where somebody says, I've believed the gospel. I believe that there's nothing I can do to justify myself. I've stopped trying to justify my own sin, and I just receive the justifying work of Christ. I've stopped blaming others, making excuses for it. I've stopped trying to be good enough and, and earn righteousness on my own. I've stopped and I just believe Jesus. I admit that there's nothing that I can do, that it's bigger than me. That's what makes it grace. Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism is not some magical, it's not like we sprinkle magic like anti-sin, you know, pixie dust and mix it in the water and there's some magical thing that happens. It's not it. This is a picture. This is a picture of the work of Christ. We have died to sin and were raised to new life. That's the personal work of Christ. I can't wait. Usually I get to be the guy in the tank and I, I love Baptism Sunday because I get to teach the, the class and then I get to walk with people through it and I get to hear their stories of, of the old and the new and, and what Jesus has done and I get to help people who are, which is basically everybody be like, I don't want to because I'm so terrified to speak in front of people. You know, I don't want to get up and, and and we'll work you through that. Uh, most people have two great fears in life. The first is the fear of death. And then the other is the fear of public speaking, right? And, and some people are like, I would rather die. I really would. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's weirdos like me who are like, this is great. I love this. Like, I could do this all the time, you know? Most people are, are terrified of it. We'll, we'll help. Don't worry. This is, this is what Chris was talking about earlier with the baptism class. Uh, coming up next week, uh, during the 11 a.m. service. I want to encourage you, if you're, if you're wrestling with it, if you're like, okay, I, I think I really do believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, that I'm justified not by what I do, but what's been done for me. And, and I really, I've, re I've heard that I receive it, and I want to be made new. I want to die to my sin, and I want to be raised in newness of life. If, and if you're wrestling with that, you can get on your phone right now and go sign up for the baptism class next week. And, and we'll help you with all of the, I don't know what to say, I don't know how to say it. It's like, hey, just, we're just gonna have a conversation in the tank in front of a few hundred people. But pay no, pay no attention to them, just, just talk to me. That's usually how we say it, it kind of helps, you know. Signing up for the baptism class doesn't mean that you're committing to be baptized. Because you also could be here going, or maybe online going, ah, I, I did get baptized like when I was younger, and I, I, I'm not sure if I really understood what I was doing. Maybe you did it because it was like all your friends were doing it or there was some emotional moment or you felt really, really guilty. And, and uh, that's, not, that's not the right reason to be baptized. And if, and, but we'll help you. We'll help you kind of discern through that. Like, did you really believe the gospel? Did you understand what that meant when you were baptized? Or you might be feeling just this sense of, I just feel so like unworthy and so filthy and so dirty and, and I, I, need to, I just need to get baptized because I feel like I want to just leave the past behind. And, and maybe what you need is not to be rebaptized. Maybe what you need is to reaffirm the decision you made at baptism, to just reaffirm that, to get back on the path in living in repentance and just back to following Jesus and, and his work in you. Some people feel like coming to to God is this 
overwhelming, scary, frightful thing. And I get it. When we don't know the goodness and the grace of God, we only see God as holy judge. And we're afraid of him. We run away from him. And then internally what we do is we go, I've, I've got to like get myself I got to get myself ready for, I'm not ready to approach God. I got to get some things in order. I got to get this right and I got to get that right. Let me ask you a question. Would you get cleaned up to take a shower? Because that's kind of what that's like. In our humanness, we're going, I I need to do something to make myself presentable to God. I'm so dirty. I need to be clean before I approach God. And God's like, that's the whole point. I'm going to do for you what you're incapable of doing for yourself. That's the gospel. But I gotta feel guilty. I gotta feel bad. Don't I need to like beat myself over the head? I need to beat myself up for my sin and just and beat myself down in guilt and shame and condemnation? Well, of course, when, when you sin, you should feel a sense of remorse and guilt for it, but you don't stay there. You don't live there because if you go too far with that, what essentially you're saying is I need to beat myself I'm not receiving the beating you took for me. I need to beat myself. I need to be crucified for this. You see the difference? In our own humanness, we go right to that. Like something that I need to do. And and the gospel of Jesus Christ is like, there's nothing you can do. It's been done for you. You just believe. And then here's the thing. We live that message every single day. We never graduate. We are always living here. Every single day we preach the gospel to ourselves. I was, it's who I am. I was justified. I am justified because of what Jesus has done. And I am in the process of being sanctified. And that is a very messy place that requires a lot of grace. And thank you, Lord. One day, one day, the work will be complete. Isn't that an awesome promise we have? Man, that's what baptism represents. Baptism is a picture of the personal work of Christ. And so I want to encourage you in these next few moments Uh, We're going to sing a song together and then Colin's going to come out and baptize some youth. And let's just celebrate together with them. If, If you're considering it, sign up for the class. Again, signing up for the class doesn't commit you to baptism. It just puts us in a place to have a conversation so that we can talk about it and determine what's the Lord doing in you. Let's take a moment. Let's pray uh, this morning. Lord, this, uh, this passage in Romans and this whole section, so powerful. In one sense, Lord, I, I've been hearing these things for years and years and years, and, and I feel like I'm actually hearing it for the first time and understanding it in a, in a different way for the first time. My own need, my own need, Lord, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And I pray for the person this morning, the people this morning who are wrestling who are wrestling to just simply believe the gospel that today they would believe, today they would receive and repent and turn from sin and turn to Jesus and be made right with you and just receive his justifying work. And and as we hear the, the work of Christ, the personal stories from these students, Lord, I pray that that would be more and more stories, that that would stoke the fires of what you're doing here in our church, what you're doing in this community that you would be glorified in a greater way for where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. May we not ever take advantage of or treat cheaply the grace, Lord Jesus, that cost you your life. 
May we never trample on that as common, but hold that in the highest regard because it was our sin and the only payment was your blood and there is no higher price you could have paid and we live from that and out of that. Thank you for your work that you've done that we could never do for ourselves. We, re- we believe it and we receive it and we live from that every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's.